0: You're listening to The Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice
1: Cherry. Welcome to The Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and this week I'm talking with Andre Mack, who is... How can I describe Andre? He's an entrepreneur. He's a sommelier. He's a graphic designer. He's a creative director. All of the above, really, and then some. Uh, It's a really great interview. I hope you enjoy it. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
0: My name is Andre Mack, and I'm a winemaker, sommelier, designer, kind of a jack-of-all-trades. I'm an entrepreneur.
1: Okay, now, many folks listening might not know what a uh, sommelier is. So, how would you explain what a sommelier is to like a five-year-old?
0: A sommelier is just basically a wine waiter, right? It's the person who retrieves the wine from the cellar, brings it to the table, open it, opens the wine, and actually does the service on the wine. That's how I would explain it to uh, a five-year-old. Um, okay. But, you know, so that's basically what it is. It, I mean, there's a lot more to it than just that. You know, you're engaging with customers, uh, with guests on the floor, talking about their wine needs, those kind of things, and then selecting wines for them, helping them select wines for their meal, and then actually going and doing the service for, for that. So educating the the beverage team, not just the beverage team, but all the other waiters, ordering those kind of things, all those kind of things.
1: It certainly sounds like something that you would hear about in in very high-end restaurants, there's a sommelier, maybe because it's French, but uh, certainly it sounds like something you'd hear in very high-end establishments that they would that have their true. own sommelier.
0: That is true. And, you know, over the years, it has changed. You know, I think the whole idea of a sommelier, you know, that's, you know, tuxedo cladded with a chain around its neck for tasting wine, like – those restaurants still exist, but far and few between. And you do have sommeliers at high-end restaurants, but you also do have sommeliers at you know at some neighborhood restaurants. You know, wine has really become a, an important part of 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 the American dining experience. Mm.
1: And now, usually when I'm having guests on the show, I try to do a bit of research just to kind of find out who they are and and what they're into and everything. And I mean, you're you're a mover and a shaker, like you are <laughs> a celebrity. So I'm. I'm really curious to know, like, what is a typical day like for you these days?
0: Man, it's really interesting. Most weeks I get on an airplane. You know, so my main residence is here in Brooklyn, New York. Our winery is in Portland, just outside of Portland, Oregon. So in the Willamette Valley in Dundee. And so that's on the other side of the country. I spend about one week a month in Oregon generally. But most Mondays I get on a plane. I travel somewhere in the world to talk about our wines, to sell our wines. So I work Tuesday, Monday's a travel day. I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And generally, I'm on the last flight on Thursday night or early Friday morning back to New York. Hopefully, to have dinner with my family on Friday. So no two days actually look the same. You know, it's it's all different. Um, and I like that. It kind of reminds me of restaurant service as I, you know, I cut my teeth at working in restaurants. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, generally I'm up by like six o'clock or so, you know, I get some exercise in, I try to, um, I try to have breakfast with my kids if I'm around and you know, it's constantly changing. You know, I just bought a wine shop right down the street from my home in New York. So that's kind of new, been new to our mix. Uh, I just came back from there, just fixing the flowers, making sure all the orders were done. And then I came back to do, um, hop on this call with you, but I'm building a, uh, a wine bar on the same street a little bit further down. And then there's a cheese sh- cheese shop next door, so lots of stuff, construction stuff. So I was over there this morning checking with them on construction. We should be about, uh, I want to say like three weeks, four weeks out from opening. Mm-hmm. So that's it. And then you know, generally speaking, you know, no matter where I'm at, you know, I'm on the phone call with my assistant. Just trying to, you know, structure his day and try to, you know, figure out priorities. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just not the same. You know what I mean? It's just different. You know, last week I was in Oklahoma and Chicago. Next week I'm in LA for the day to film and then I'll come back. It just, it just it's just constantly moving. Yeah. <laughs> it's lots of phone calls, lots of texts and to be honest you know without an assistant it would have been it's really hard for me to function and i made that leap about 3 years ago and that really kind of helped me manage my day just embracing my calendar has really kind of changed changed my life and it allows me to do lots of multiple different things at a time right? It's, a, it's the best way for me to stay organized. Like if I wouldn't be talking to you right now, if it wasn't on the calendar, <laughs> <laughs> that's how strict I am on it, right? It's like every single thing, I don't add anything to it. I don't want to touch it. I make, you know, there's one person who's responsible for the calendar and that, that makes it all work for me.
1: Yeah. I'm the same way with my calendar. Like I'll tell people like if, even if they want to invite me somewhere, just even just for like personal reasons or whatever, like mm-hmm. send me an invite or something because if it's not on my calendar, mm-hmm. to me it doesn't exist. Like it's not mm-hmm. going to happen. I never, I never knew that it happened, and so I totally, totally understand that.
0: It's so important, and I realized the busier I got, I needed more structure, mm-hmm. right? And even like things that are on the calendar, just like, hey, we're going to f- devote thirty-five minutes today to like organizing your closet. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's down to like that, like trying to like have structure for everything, because then I feel like I get the most out of it. Otherwise, who knows what I would be doing? I might just be on my phone, you know? So, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but like my days are wild and crazy. There is some room, you know, sometimes there is room for impromptu stuff, but that kind of throws everything off. (laughs) But, you know, that does happen as well.
1: Okay. So what is the name of your wine for those that are listening that want to check it out?
0: Sure. The name of my company is called Maison Noir Wines. So Black House Wines is what it roughly translates.
1: Where did the idea to call it that come from?
0: Well, originally, the name of my company was called Mouton Noir Wines, which translates into Black Sheep.
1: Oh, Black Sheep. Yeah.
0: Like sheep, and so I was in a legal battle with a very famous winery for like seven years over the name, and finally we just decided just to change it. So, okay, Mouton Noir was a nickname that was given to me when I first moved to New York. Uh, so you got to imagine, you know, being a sommelier. Um, one, it's not that many sommeliers to begin with, but there are not a lot of people that look like me that do what I do, and you know, I kind of garnered this nickname as the black sheep, and j- and not just you know, obviously for the way that I look. But not only that, I, you know, I just did things differently. I, you know, I, I looked at wine differently. I talked about wine in a different way that I felt like was maybe more relatable to people. And somehow I, g- I got stuck with this name, Mouton Noir. And instead of making it something negative, I, you know, I embraced it and I made it, I, you know, I designed the logo and I made it my screensaver at work. And I joked all the time that I was going to start to make wines and this was going to be the name of my company. And, and that's kind of how it evolved, right? Mm-hmm. That whole idea of being a black sheep—you know, embrace what makes you different, right—and you know, harness that thing and you know, help it propel you, propel you to, to success. And uh, so that, so that's kind of how it started. So, and then we, when we got into all this legal stuff, we decided to change the name to Maison Noir, which just seemed a little bit easier as we had been around. We had been in business for over over eight years. And so we decided like it was mo- it was an easier transition just to change one part of it and not rebrand the whole thing. So, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, when I started my studio back in 08, we were called uh, 318 Media and I was trying to be, I guess, creative. And I had the name basically the number three, the word 18 like spelled out. And there were some issues with that. I think the first issue was that no one wrote it Right. They would just write three one eight, or they would spell it out like three eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was, I found out that it was really difficult to use in forms sometimes because, mm-hmm. for some reason, some business names didn't—they didn't want you to start a business name with a number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then also here in, uh, in, uh, so I'm in Atlanta. There were other three blank, blank media places. There's like a 325 media. There's a 360 media. Oh, wow. Uh, and people were getting us confused because we did similar types of things. Okay. Uh, three, and it's funny. I actually worked with 360 media with a client. They're a PR firm mm-hmm. and we all just, Like ended up kind of just trading emails back and forth on like well (laughs) well, what are we gonna do Uh and for me i just said well i'll just i'll just change because i was the kind of the newest business out of the three Mm -hmm. um just in terms of being established and i wanted to change the name anyway i was sort of like trying to move away from it and so i think it was when did we rebrand in 2015 or 2016 just rebranded to lunch okay like breakfast lunch dinner Mm -hmm. and it was it it, i'd say it probably took about a year for it to really stick okay because people were still kind of calling us 318 media but eventually we just moved everything over to lunch and like embraced the whole metaphor slash you know food and lunch and Mm -hmm. you know we would call our little downloadable snack packs and all that kind of stuff um and so people were able to kind of glom onto it really easily because it was a more understandable concept than 318 media they're like oh yeah. lunch i get it you know um so it, it ended up kind of working out that way so i know what you mean about like rebranding can be can be difficult definitely
0: yeah for sure and so we you know we just decided that we you know the easiest thing to do would be able to just change the name and uh yeah and just keep it moving right cuz you know nothing was going to stop the momentum we just wanted to keep keep going so we changed and so now it's called Maison noir wines and so if you want to find us that's what you can look up and type in
1: okay so i want to dive more into your career in wine i also definitely want to touch on kind of your background that you've done with design through wine mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk about that later but i want to take it back like to the beginning i'm curious like where did you grow up and was was design and wine and creativity was all of this like a big part of your childhood
0: i grew up kind of all over i was born in trenton new jersey And um, my mom was uh, in the army and we kind of traveled all over. We lived overseas and, you know, we spent a big chunk of time in Texas. My mom really fell in love with Texas. And so I spent, you know, like from middle school to high school there. And um, the first 15 summers of my life, I spent going back to Trenton, New Jersey and hanging out with my cousins. It was a big thing for my mother to for us to, you know. Never forget where you came from. So you know a lot of, a lot of my summers were spent with my cousins uh, in Trent, New Jersey, and um, and design and wine were never a part of anything <laughs> that I did. Like you know, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and it just it just wasn't even around. It wasn't, hmm. it you know, just wasn't. I wasn't cogn- cognizant of it at, at at any point. You know, my parents didn't really drink outside of the occasional holiday chair. There, you know, there was alcohol in the house, but you know, it would be there for years. So it wasn't. It wasn't even that. I think. I think design never. I mean, I. I just you know maybe I thought about things in my head, but just never. It just was never, never anything you know I was I didn't critique stuff or anything like that I think it was much later in life you know I got into wine by watching old episodes of Frasier you know <laughs> so that's much later in my life you know that you know the show about the two pompous brothers who had a sherry ritual you know they just seemed like from the show they seemed like they were just having fun right they were you know they were having fun you know they had wine in their life and from watching that show I just I felt like I was missing out Not that I ever thought that I would make a career out of it or anything. It's just like, hey, these guys look like they're having fun and they're drinking wine. Maybe I should have one in my life. Mm. And that show gave me the courage to walk into a wine shop for the first time. And to, you know, because, you know, generally speaking, there were no young black people inside of the wine shop where in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how that started. And just wanting to learn more about wine and drinking it and just wanting to know more about what I was drinking and where it was from. And you realize wine is, not only just a tasty beverage, but you know it is. It's history, it's biology, it's chemistry. It's you know, it's all of these things wrapped into one. And you can go down that rabbit hole if you choose. You can go down really far. You want to know a you know a country politics? You can really look at the wine, and 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 the wine history plays a role in that. And so that. Which is what been what what drove me, you know, and then its connection to food is also another thing. So you know, as you started to peel back the layers of the onion, you realize that wine just wasn't just something that you drank and got messed up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is that too. Uh, so, but that was that was a real thing for me. I didn't realize until maybe maybe during college I was. I was kind of starting to be a little bit creative and that, and that was when I got my first computer. I worked at like some really crappy restaurants during college. And, you know, so I worked at like Red Lobster, but I remember, (laughs) I remember, you know, us waiters being, you know, disgruntled. And we called a manager's meeting and I designed, I took the logo. I took a bag that had the logo on it and scanned it into my computer. And then, you know, Made it, you know. Made it read "dead lobster," and then I printed it out, and we made these Iron Iron T-shirts, <laughs> right? I put X's through the eyes, and then changed, you know, from red to dead, and and um, and that was kind of really the first foray into like doing any, anything like that. So that was that was my first foray into that, and never did I think that I was anything, you know what I mean? It was just like, oh hey, I'm just a kid playing around on the computer, and then you know. Later, later, you know, I kind of dropped that for a little bit because I got into wine. But as I, you know, when I started to work at at fine dining restaurants, when I was working at Per Se here in New York, I actually spent thirty to forty minutes a day, you know, designing, you know, the sheet that we just use for pre-shift. Hmm. Like, so it wasn't for, it was for our for our eyes only, but it wasn't it wasn't anything for for the guests to see, but it was for our staff. And I started, I was doing like page layout. So I made it look like, you know, we had the whole back of one page and I designed it to make it look like a, you know, like a magazine mm-hmm. and they had all our topics and like the wines and things we want to discuss. And that really bought me joy. You know what I mean? Like, in a and like, in a way that was just so weird. I was like, I really look forward to that every single day doing that. And, um, you know, people started to ask me, you know, like, Hey, did you go to school for that? And I was like, no, I didn't go to school for that. What did you go to school for? Finance. Okay. Uh, right. You know, it's kind of that thing, you know, in my circle, it was like all the kids all the kids who knew what they wanted to do generally, they were like artists and like they knew what they were gonna do. And the kids that didn't know what they d- were gonna do, they're you know, we went into finance. Right. It just seemed <laughs> like you know you know what I mean? Like you went to finance, you're like, Okay, maybe I can figure this out. I can make some mean cash for a little bit until I figure out what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like and I could work up until I'm like thirty-five and make a whole bunch of money and then, you know, at thirty-five really try to do what I want to do or start a business or something else. So um, Uh I ended up going to school for finance, but like that, that just wasn't it for me. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And so then the whole, you know, the whole design thing, that's when I started to believe that like, Oh, that I'm creative. Right. It's so weird. Right. That like, I didn't believe that I was, I was just, Doing stuff that felt good to me to design made me feel good. And to create something, you know, to spend 30 or 40 minutes on it, you know, people thought I was crazy for something that they were going to throw away, <laughs> you know what I mean, like seconds after they had it. But it meant something to me. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a challenge. I think you, for me, in your job, when you've mastered or started to master or felt like you've mastered certain things in there, you know, for me, I turned my attention to something else. You know, at the beginning, I was definitely afraid of getting in front of people and talking to them. It's different if you're waiting on, if you're like talking to a table, but a group of your peers and explaining something to them, that was something different. You know, I think, you know, isn't like public speaking is like, Number two, you know, like on the greatest fear of dying. Actually, it might be be number one now, but the but the fact the fact of it is that was something that I was very uncomfortable with. So I made myself do the meeting every single day because I wanted to be uncomfortable in front of people and realize that that could be a tool that I could use later on in life. And it is something that has prepared me for this part of my life where I am getting in front of a whole bunch of people. I am being paid to get in front of a whole bunch of people and speak. And, uh, you know, I feel pretty comfortable and confident about it because of the work that I've done years previously. And so, kind of the same thing. Like I turned my attention a critical eye in designing and putting things together that, you know, within the same job that I had. And I felt like that helped me tremendously from when it was time for me to leave and strike out on my own.
1: Yeah, because you're coming to the table with more skills than just this one thing, like just wine. You're coming with wine and art direction and creative direction and all this other stuff that comes with that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like also I feel like, you know, I've done all the jobs in my company. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not asking when I hire someone new, I'm not asking them to do something that I've never done before. Mm-hmm. Plus, since I've done the work, I know what the expectation is. Mm. I know how long it takes, right? I'd like, you know what I mean? Like, like, I know, like, and I know how much it costs, right? If I had to outsource it from somewhere else, I know how much it costs. I've done that work. You can't tell me that it takes, it costs this much when I know it only it's this long, you know? And also what I realized is by learning to do design, graphic design, it put my company above a, above a lot of other companies very quickly, especially since social media, right? You know what I mean? Like like to, to be able to, to do stuff very quickly. And that's kind of what happened, right? Like at some point, I just realized like, hey, you know, I got a friend and, you know, they are they a are graphic designer. Like I'm going to just ask him to do it but it was never fast enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, and, and you can't press them because you're at, they're doing it for free or t- for very cheap. And I was like, you know what shit, like just show me how to do it. And that's really what happened. I was just, I got tired of waiting and I said, you know, I got more time than I have money and then I'll learn it myself. But at some point that flip-flops, right? Like before I had, I had a lot of time and no money and now I have less time because I am making more money, you know, my time's more valuable that I can't actually sit in the compu- in front of a computer like I used to um, and, and do those things. So um, those things have changed for me.
1: Mm. Now, I want to go back just a bit here. I'm, I'm curious about the finance part because as, as I was doing my research, I saw that you worked in finance for a number of years. When did you decide to make that shift from finance to to wine and during that time was your family kind of supportive of you making a big change like that
0: I don't know about the family part. I don't even know if I was even talking to my mother, so mm-hmm. so so I you know we go through these spats where we don't talk to each other. um so we fixed that, but that was when I was younger
2: mm-hmm.
0: um i made I decided to make the switch because I was unhappy. like it just it just sucked. It just wasn't what I thought it would be. and for me, I just said, you know what like i i I can't do it anymore. And I think it was having that feeling and not sure if I should take the leap or not. But what ended up happening is Citigroup merged with Travelers. So Citibank had merged with Travelers and they started to, lay, they were laying people off. Hmm. And that, like that whole thing was like, so wait a minute, you know, they, you know, they came to my desk, they're talking. That's like, let me just be clear. So I can quit and I'm going to get severance.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: so you can continue to pay me. And they were, and they were like, yeah, that's how that works. And I was like, oh shit, sign me up. So, you know what I mean? Like there was something in place, like, you know, they were looking for people to, to like, you know, to leave. And I was like, oh shit, I will leave if you, if I'm going to get paid. And, um, and so that's, that eased the transition, but like, there was no plan really on the other side of like quitting that job, mm. you know? And for me, like, it was like, you know, I can always go back to restaurants. I didn't really want to figure out what I want to do. But like, in the meantime, I can wait tables. I can make, you know, for what, for the hourly, I can make some, I can make some decent money. And so I quit and I didn't rush to, to get another job, but you know, I, I started waiting tables again. And and it was at that time that I was watching old episodes of Frasier. And it was at that time that the interest in wine started to come up and, Mm -hmm. and that was it, you know, like to me to go the sommelier route. Was easy, right? Because I was already working in restaurants. I could do that blindfolded, right? And so now I was just adding wine to it. You know, that made sense to me. You know, that seemed like the natural progression. I didn't have the influence of, you know, my upsetting my parents. And also, what I would say is because I feel like this is later in life for me. You know, I'm like 27 years old now, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not, you know what I mean? Like, There's
1: no safety net.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and after 27, I came off my parents' insurance, right? So, like, they had Uh. (laughs) they had nothing nothing to do with my life, and I could be honest. You know, I could, you know, I'm sure that my parents were grappling with like I don't know what this kid if this kid's ever going to amount to anything, you know, kind of thing, right? Like where like you know like they had. Aspirations and hopes for me, and and sometimes when you didn't do the things that they wanted you to do, they were upset. Mm. And I feel like you know, at least my mother would maybe fit into that. They had that idea of like, well, I'm not sure, like what's happening. He seems to be okay. <laughs> and it was leaving, and then going, going and inviting wine in my life, and starting to learn about it more and more. And then I worked in a restaurant that had a better wine list, and. The rest was history. I was like, "I want to learn about this. I want to know as much as I can about this." Yeah. and um and that was it. I didn't let go. You know I studied my ass off and learned as much as I could, and um, that made working in restaurants fun again for me, right? And I made more money than I'd had before because I knew I could talk to talk, right? You know what I mean like if, you If you looked at the menu, the menu taps out at fifty bucks, right? like fifty dollar entrees. With the wine list, you know, $1,000 bottles of wine, $800 bottles of wine, right? I get, you know, 15% of that. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was really the driving force too, right? It was a financial thing. Yeah. That's something that I just totally fell in love with and became less about knowing more about wine so I could make more money until it, so it just felt good, you know, where other waiters would come over to me and say, hey, can you go talk to my table? If they want to talk wine. And that's when we worked in a restaurant that didn't have a sommelier. Mm. And so you had the respect of your peers, you know, they, you know, and I fed off that too, you know, that, that felt good that they were like, Hey, you know, enough about wine that I feel safe for you to go talk to my table and go sell them some wine. So that's, that's how that started. The, I, I never experienced the, the approval of my parents kind of thing. To be fair, I felt like at probably at 27, I just, I didn't give a shit anyway. Right. I didn't care. Mm. I didn't care what they thought. Yeah. Right. Because at this point it was just it was my life and um, and I was going to figure it out somehow. I see that a lot nowadays where people talk about, you know, the approval of their parents and like where that would that fit in along the course of them choosing a career or what decisions that they make. Uh, I think it did for me much earlier on. But at at twenty seven, I was my own man.
1: Yeah, that feels like such a parallel to what my career has been in a way. Oh yeah, like I think I think my mom started getting on board with what I was doing when she saw that it was successful. Mm-hmm. Like in the beginning, she's like, you know, I don't know. You went to school for this? And like I went to school for math. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I didn't want to teach math. The the jobs that involved me doing math on a regular basis were not jobs I wanted to do. It, it was basically be a math teacher or an actuary. And I didn't want to do either one of those things. Correct. And so I was doing just like random little odd jobs before I fell into design. And I had been doing design as a hobby, but even then I was, you know, making money doing design, but Mm -hmm. it it wasn't something that I think my mom was like, I don't, I don't know. And then when I quit my job and started my studio, that's really when the, (laughs) (laughs) when the doubt started coming in, like, you know, like, what are you doing? And, it wasn't until I started really like being successful and I was getting recognition that she's like, okay, well, you know, I knew all along. And I'm like, did you, yeah.
0: did you know?
1: Cause I remember it a lot differently, but yeah. sure. Let's, but let's go with that. But that's
0: generally, that's generally how it is. Right. You know, I was telling a friend of mine the other day, I was like, you're so, your spouse is supposed to believe in you. And they tell you that all the, all the time. But I can remember a moment where it all changed, where it was like, oh, you believed in me, but like, no, you believe in me, believe in me, right? And like now, like yeah. it's, it's different. And, you know, my mom was interesting. You're like when I said, hey, I got a job at the best restaurant in the world. And she thought that was like my opinion. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> this, this, Like, you know, I was like, no, this publication, which is worldwide, said that this restaurant I'm going to is the best restaurant in the world. And she's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I'm moving and I'm selling all my stuff. Mm. And she's like, what? She knew it must have been a big deal. And she's like, what? And I was like, I'm selling all my stuff. And she's like, well, wait a minute. She goes, send me over a list of all the stuff you're selling and how much much you're selling it for. And then she bought it all. Whoa. And then she's like, okay. And I was like, thank you. I was like, you didn't have to do that. And she's like, no, no, no. She bought it all. And I was like, okay. I was like, I got to go because I got to go buy some suits. And she's like, no, 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 no. And then she took me to go buy suits. And it was just, it was just like this great feeling that she didn't know, but I guess from my reaction, she's like, well, what is this? Like, and then, you know, I had moved out there and then six months later she comes out to come visit and, you know, she got to dine at the restaurant and then she was like, this is, this is so cool. This is so interesting. And, you know, it just, it just went from there. And, um, but she's always been that way. I, and I could tell like, she didn't know what was going on. I don't know if she really believed it, Mm -hmm. but she believed that I believed it. And, um. And that was kind of our, that was kind of our thing, you know, and I was going no matter what, if I had to sell all my stuff, I didn't care. Right. It was just, I had an opportunity and I was willing to be there within in a week and a half. Right. It was like, I got the job. It was like, I'm coming. And that was it.
1: Yeah. When did you found uh, the winery? In
0: 2007 is when I started. I had been working. I went out to California from Texas to work at the French Laundry. Uh, and then in 2004, I, I moved to New York unsight unseen to run the beverage department at the sister restaurant called per se. And at the time it was the most anticipated restaurant opening in New York city in the last like 20 years. And it was a hell of a ride and it was great. I had a really great time. I worked there for three years and then I quit because I wanted to continue to learn about wine. And I felt like the only way to do that was to make my own. Mm. Uh, And if I could, you know, if I could make my own, you know, That could scratch several other itches I had too, right? One, wanting to be an entrepreneur, and then two, wanting to have more creativity in my life. Hmm. And so I finally had made the leap to quit. And then, you know, like anything else in life, it was this long, windy road, you know, stop and start. And that lasted for like three years. So from 07 to 2010 I was taking on odd jobs, working for other people, doing all kinds of other stuff. At one point I tried to I was opening a little wine bar on the lower east side and then all that fell through with the partnership. I was out there trying to do stuff, still you know, trying to you know, I just had a kid in 08 and was just trying to like hustle and like get my dream off the ground. And it was funny because, you know, all your peers are trying to figure out what the hell you're doing. And then they might see you working at some place that they thought that they thought was beneath you. Mm. My thing is like, I got to do what's right for me. And, um, and that's, what's so funny, right? You know, most people don't leave jobs like the one I had is because where do you go from there? If you don't open your own place, then everything else is not where everybody else thinks that you should be. And I tell people, man, you have to do, you have to keep your eyes on the prize and understand like where you're going. And so for a lot of, a lot of my peers, they, they they're like, what the hell is this guy doing? But I knew what I wanted to do. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you have to do the things that you don't want to do to be, to get to where you want to go. And I didn't, I didn't want to, Work as a manager, a general manager of like some other restaurant, but I did for, for a little bit because I knew that's what I need to do. Yeah. And then in 2010, I stopped working for everybody. I stopped working for other people and haven't taken on a job. And I had built it to enough where I could actually work for myself full time, and that was a great feeling. And that's kind of where it's where I've been ever since. So started the company in 07, um, and then really kind of took you know three years, stop and start to really get it, get it on its feet where it could actually support just me as the sole employee at the beginning. Uh, and that worked out.
1: Yeah. Basing your life on other people's expectations is like a sure shot for disaster. Mm-hmm. Like, it, mm-hmm. I And I, I really empathize with what you said about you kind of have to do the jobs that you don't necessarily want to do to kind of get where you have to go. That's certainly how I felt once I, once I first graduated and I didn't want to go into any sort of math stuff and the the only jobs I could find were like telemarketing. I think I was selling tickets at the symphony at the time. Actually, I remember this. I was selling tickets at the symphony here at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember I got my degree and I went to work. I think it was the next day or the day after that. And the manager like congratulated me on my degree and like took the calculator from my station. Like, well, you don't need this now because <laughs> You have a degree in math, so, you know, you can count change out of a hundred, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but I was working a lot of little, like, not great jobs. I worked at the Atlanta Opera for like a day Mm -hmm. doing telemarketing. (laughs) I I remember because they had this CD on loop of, uh, boys to men, I'll make love to you. Which is a, (laughs) I mean, great song, but when you've heard it eight hours straight and you're trying to like sell, I don't know, whatever Aida I don't know like you're trying to sell it to some rich patron somewhere I I took all the stuff they gave me when I left like left for the day took all the stuff they gave me put it in an envelope and mailed it to them like I'm not coming back like Correct. I'm not doing this uh <laughs> and I got my first like actual legit design gig in 05 but even from working for other companies from 05 to 08 I was like I can do better than this you yeah. know because I still sort of felt like I was living up to what's was sort of expected of me Mm -hmm. in that way. And like, it's like, once you break out of that cycle and break out of that prison, like life is just, just so much better after that.
0: (laughs) It's true. It's true. Being an entrepreneur is not, it's not easy. And it's not for anyone with a faint of heart. Right. Because like, it all feels very fleeting. Yeah. Uh, And even, even Steve Jobs talked about it. It all feels like a house of cards. You know, and I was asking some of my other friends, like, when does that end? And they're like, it doesn't. <laughs> and sometimes that is the driving f- that's that's the driving force to keep pushing yourself. Right. Because like, you know, some and and some, you know, and it's weird, right? Because, you know, some days you're flush. You know, some days it's like, I got way too much money out on the street, right? And I can't make a I can't make this move until I get it back. Right. And so it's yeah. just it's really, it's really interesting. And you can see how some people some people don't like that. Like they, they need like, okay, I know that I'm gonna get paid every two weeks, mm-hmm. and I was never one of those people. I mean, I, you know, I waited tables, right? <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't care. I was willing to take that risk because I knew that I, I, knew that nine times out of ten, it was gonna be more than what I would make sitting in someone's sitting at a desk and talking to someone.
1: Mm-hmm. And you'd be happier too.
0: Yeah, right. Because worked less hours, it was great. But yeah, you know, I mean. I, you know, it's all this talk about like, are you happy? This, all this other stuff. I was like, dude, you can you can be happy. I was one of those people that thought like, oh, I can be happy once I get this and once I get that. And it's like, it was based on goals and all these other things. And I was like, no, dude, you have to take the time to be happy along the way because at the end, you're still not going to be happy, mm-hmm. right? Like, once you accomplish those things, you're not going to be happy. It's the next thing because I know how I am. Like, you know what I mean? Like for me, it's like. Someone asked me to do something, and i say, yeah, sure. What took you so long? <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, what took you so long to ask me? Like, like I thought I should have been on your show years ago, right? You know what I mean? That kind of thing, that's always the mentality I've had. You know, there's bad things to it, too. But I'm sure it, it's gotten me to where I am, where it's like, you know, I, I want to do things, but I just, you know. Anyways, a lot of my happiness at the beginning was tied to doing things in life and scra- and checking things off a list. Yeah. And I really had to retool and refocus and say, you know, now it's a little bit different. You know, I have four children. They make me slow down and really take inventory. And um, as much as some days it's a pain, it doesn't feel it's not what I want to do that day. It's great. And I think it's, you know, really even me out for sure.
1: Mm -hmm. What was it like to work with Anthony Bourdain?
0: Um, It was great. You know, I mean, he was he was awesome. To me, he felt just—he was just like you saw him on TV. That's why we all gravitated to him, like in the way he spoke and the way that he carried himself. It was no different. That was truly who that person was. He was—he was authentic. And uh, I remember when we were—we <laughs> were shooting. We were, I was filming his show and, you know, I don't, I didn't know anything about TV. I had like shot, like, you know, I've been on a couple commercials before and this was like the first big production thing I had ever been on. And, um, you know, they gave you, they gave me an earpiece. And so I have like a earpiece in and, you know, you can hear different, I don't know who it was. You had different people talking to me. And, um, I remember I was messing up my lines. I couldn't get them. And then, you know, I'd fumble and I'd, I'd yell, cut. <laughs> and, and Anthony pulls to me aside. He's like, Andre, you don't ever yell cut. Only the director yells cut. He's like, collect yourself, take a breathe, deep breath, and then say the lines again. Like, but you can't yell cut. You know what I mean? Like, like he was like, that, he was like, you can't do that. And then I remember he was like, and you know, I just was feeling uneasy about it. And I think after we shot for the first day, we were like walking back to the trailer, and I was like, hey, so are we gonna do that again? And he goes, no. He goes, why? You don't think we got it? And I was like, I'm not feeling 100% confident, co- confident about my part. And he goes, Oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. He goes, this is, you know, he had to explain to me, he goes, this is not like a reality show where it's their job to kind of like, fumble you up and make you look bad. Mm-hmm. Like, they got tons of stuff, they're gonna make you look good. Like, you did great. You know what I mean? Like, it was just, it was awesome to like, be in the set and to be involved in it and to be on the show. It was an honor. Uh, and more so now, in hindsight, now that uh, he's no longer with us, you know.
1: Yeah. Now you started the the winery in 2007, and then in 2009 you started this design firm. I love this name, the Get Fresh Crew. Yeah. F R A I C H E C R U. Where did where did the idea come from to kind of go that route?
0: Well, I mean, what had happened is, is once I so I quit the restaurant and. I quit working in the restaurant full time and then I started I started Mutant Noir Wines. And then what I realized is like, all right, so I'm doing all this stuff. I got all these ideas. But what happens is I needed labels. So I had signed up for the bottling line, meaning that like so my wine was ready to go into the bottle. And they had like a list. So you know, I hired, you know, for the bottling line so that so someone could come bottle it. And what had, hap- what had happened is, is that they're like, well, wait a minute. So all labels for wine have to be approved by the government. Huh. And I hadn't done that yet. And they were like, hey, you can't, you can't do that. It's not smart to do that. So you should go. And so I asked a friend. I was like, hey, I need someone to design a label for me. Can you recommend a designer? He's like, yeah, sure. I'll give you the people we use. So I called this company. And they told me. And they are like, it's $25,000 per label. I don't know, I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, $25,000? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, I don't even have that kind of money. And, that, and at that moment, I was like, you know what? And so I thought to myself, well, maybe if I can get the idea out of my head and maybe sketched a little bit or whatever, I can hand it off to a designer and it wouldn't be $25,000. Now I realize that like designers fucking hate that, right? They don't, they don't <laughs> like that at all, right? That's a total... That's a big big no-no. And so I was like, okay, let me see if I can figure this out. So, and it was like, you know, it was kind of like in the height of like, you know, Apple, Apple was and like all the commercials showed all these creative people like if you were creative you use Mac. And so I didn't know Mac and I didn't have a Mac. So, I went on Craigslist and I bought an old iMac for 200 bucks and one uh, our old maitre d' at the restaurant, her boyfriend worked for Adobe. And so he got me the Adobe Creative Suite for seventy five bucks. Nice, and that's when it was like thirty five hundred. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he got me, and I remember him standing on. This is really powerful software, and I'm like, okay. And so I I loaded all onto my computer and everything, and then I just stared at the screen, and it was so funny. I was like. Okay, so Jack said that it was really powerful software. It takes a long time for it to load. And then the only thing that pops up is like this little fucking toolbar at the top, right? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> how powerful could it be? You know you know what I mean? Like it was this thing, I, trust me, I knew nothing about any type of design software. I mean, I had used like Corel draw Numbers, whatever, three or seven or whatever it was years before. But it was that thing of like, it's like just a little toolbar came up on the top and like you could still see your desktop behind it right you know it's like what is going on with this thing yeah and yeah we just stare at it and it, it was this kind of that thing of like your 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 only limit is your imagination right and that's tough for people right you know like people don't write fiction because for the same thing because they can write about anything none of it has like it just make up shit sometimes like there's no parameters in it right
2: mm-hmm. and
0: that's kind of how I felt about the software and I stared with, I stared at it for it for hours and and then slowly started to work at it and then I designed the label and I thought I was going to hand it off to another designer and I never did. And those labels were very simple, uh, stark black and white labels. And um, that's how it started. And then I started to design like, and then I needed practice. So I had like a whole bunch of other ideas and like practice, like doing stuff. Right. And so I designed all these t-shirts and all kinds of different stuff, like to like be better at it. Right. And that's kind of how it all started. And then, and then what happened is like, social media came around and then other people started to see all this stuff I was creating and making and and so at the beginning we weren't set up to sell our wine online like we weren't compliant yet to do that and so what I did it was I started to make t-shirts and not just t-shirts that had our logo on them just our logo but like t-shirts that were just for wine lovers or like wine geeks mm-hmm. that were kind of based off a of sh- like streetwear you know it was more like a streetwear wine geek t-shirts and I and I started to put them online and started to sell them as that drove traffic to our site, right? Because we didn't have anything to sell yet. We were selling wholesale in different states, but we weren't, we couldn't sell online. And that's kind of how that really started. And then slowly, people in the wine business started to approach me and ask me if I was on retainer with someone. And I was like, what? <laughs> and uh, And that's kind of how that started. And then slowly... They started, you know, people started offering me job wine jobs, like, you know, to do design. I just started doing that work for other people. And that, you know, after we got like three or four, that's when I said, you know what, we'll go ahead and just start a company and do the work. And then that's when I started to get fresh crew. And, it, and it's funny, you know, I had a friend, actually, he was a captain. So he was like a waiter at Per se and he went to school for design. He had worked on like, worked in design after school, worked on a whole bunch of the uh, absolute campaigns and all that other kind of stuff. And then found himself back in restaurants and he said he couldn't get any work. And he's like, dude, I, you get more jobs and work than I do. And I, you know, I'm not, you know, and I, you know, I got a degree for this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, yeah, it's just because that, you know, I'm in a niche. I mean, it's something different, right? Like it's wine related. And that and that that made me feel pretty good. It's still not good enough to the f- fact that I wanted to say, oh, yeah, I'm a graphic designer. or I'm a designer. It's just that we got jobs and that was really fun. You know, when I left the restaurant business, when I left working as a sommelier wanting to go make wine, you know, for me, it, it's because I really wanted to have an An impact. You know, I said to myself, I want to have an impact on this industry that I love. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. But, you know, maybe I thought it was going to be through wine and and through the wine I made. What's really interesting now is that my biggest influence on this industry that I love has been through design. Mm -hmm. And that's been interesting to me. That's something that I would have never thought of.
1: And, you know, speaking of design, you know, we talked about this a little bit before recording. I mean, wine is something that has been produced for hundreds, thousands of years, really. I mean, how do you see, you know, design and technology kind of playing into the wine industry now?
0: Well, it's all changed, right? I mean, they've fully embraced it. You know, if 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 we're just talking about label design, you know, I've always thought Australia was like number one. And then Spain was like number two, but it's all different now. Now that like there's a younger younger generation is drinking it, uh, the labels are more irreverent. There's more design. I mean, like technology. I mean, there's some wineries that that you know you download an app and you hold it up in front of the label and the label starts to talk to you. Mm. It's, it's animated. You know, so they they fully have embraced technology and and, and not just even technology, like. On the marketing side, right? Like even within winemaking, technology has been a big thing. Where you know now there's apps that you know I can check the temperatures of my fermentation tanks from anywhere in the world on my phone, Mm. right? You know what I mean? So like we've they've embraced technology, and I'm I'm really excited to see where where it goes. And even on the marketing side, like people rock t-shirts. Now I'm like, you know, you get stickers with your wine, right? Like, you know, like, like swag, you get swag with all this other kind of stuff now. Like yeah. wine is just, it's, it has really, really embraced technology in the times and with social media. It's, it's just really interesting to see how everybody's, you know, evolved and I'm excited for, I'm excited for the future uh, of, and to see what that, what that, what that looks like. But yeah, you're right. It, it absolutely is an old stagy, um, That's At least that's the rap. But it is changing hmm. a lot, very fast.
1: And now speaking of you know that evolution, you even in your career have undergone a bit of an evolution. Talk to me about Small Time Cooks.
0: Small Time Cooks is the world's first culinary coloring book slash activity book that I designed in 2014. I hadn't had the idea for a long time. And you know, kind of when I talked about like having making a mark on this industry and I was like, coloring book, what chef wouldn't want to be immortalized in a coloring book? Like I just think it's really fun and interesting. And so I had the idea for a while. the first drafts of it were just wine related. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, worked at uh, Charlie Trotters for a little bit in Chicago, a famous restaurant, uh, and he, he passed away and um, I was busy and I couldn't make it to to the funeral, to the services. And I think I was walking down the stairs of my home one day and I got the idea that it should include chefs and we were going to, and so I was like, it should be about chefs too. And that's when the whole idea changed. I didn't even make it down to the bottom of the stairs. I turned around and went back upstairs into my office. And six weeks later I produced this book Mm. called small time cooks. And um, it was a fun project. It was just something really cool for me. Mm. I, in my mind, I've committed to, 20 volumes, so we'll see. I've only made one, Um, and we self-published that book at the beginning, right? Like Mm -hmm. I wanted to do everything all by myself. I didn't want anybody to tell me what to do. I wanted to embrace the experience all by myself. Uh, And that was that was 2014. I think we sold somewhere like 8,000 copies or something like that. And then in the meantime, I sold a different book to a publisher uh, to Abrams, and so on October 22nd I have my book coming out it's called 99 bottles a black sheep's guide to Dr- uh, a black sheep's guide to life-changing wines so it's part memoir part wine book it basically tells my wine life story in 99 bottles and so for me wine is really a snapshot of a moment in time like for me wine is just a placeholder so like if you've ever traveled like if you, like a lot of people talk about like oh yeah we were in italy and we were out by the rocks on the coast and you know we we're eating these amazing oysters and we had this wine was amazing and it was only 3 euros what you really remember it is When you see that bottle of wine, you remember the story, what you were doing, it reminds you of something. And that's what this book is about for me. And so it looks like a wine guide. It has like wine information all throughout. So you'll learn about wine. Each chapter, you know, it's one through 99. So it's told in chronological order. But, you know, so you could skip around to different wines if you wanted to, mm-hmm. um, but reading it straight through is just really, it tells my wine life in a really fun way. Hey, I just finished recording the audio book yesterday. Nice. So that was a fun experience. And so I wanted to do one thing where I got to do everything by myself. And then on this, this latest book on 99 Bottles, you know, I had to work with an editor, with a publishing house, you know, that was a really great experience and, and kind of hard, right? Kind of hard in the sense of like, now I had all these other influences influences outside influences saying well no, we want the cover to look like that and i'm like no that sucks but you know there was a lot of compromise in it and it was great i embraced that experience that experience as well but small time cooks you know so we're just revamping and getting ready to come to uh, volume two and uh i'm super excited about it and whether and whether or not we sell that to a publisher or we do it again on our own that's kind of where we're at right now hmm. but you know it's been a f- it's been a fun project and you know, all the chefs, all the food person chefs and food personalities in it are people that I that I've had met over the years and it was really great to be able to to include them in the project and it was it was really fun.
1: One thing that I, I think I'm certainly getting from this conversation from talking with you and, and listening to you do all these projects is that you have this like incredible sense of of drive and passion for what it is that you do. Where does where does that come from? Like what helps kind of fuel that ambition for you?
0: Um, I don't know, man. I just want to do shit in life. (laughs) You know, I don't know where that comes from. I always knew that I was a hard worker, right? Like work ethic is something that I knew I always had. And I did that for other people. You know what I mean? I worked really hard. People were like, well, dude, this is not your place. Like that's shit the owner should be doing. But it didn't matter to me because I just realized like I'm only going to do it once in life. You know, I used to put the cocktail sauces on the plates at like Red Lobster, you know, but in the, at the end of the night, it'll be on my hands and knees wiping the, the baseboard by the floor. And people are like, why are you doing that? Am I, and my thing is like, because that's the job. It needs to be done. And I'm never going to do it again. Right? Like, And, like, and if I want to ask people to do that, I want to do it myself. I want to know what it feels like. I want to embrace. I want to know that like it doesn't feel good or whatever, whatever it is. I want to absorb all of it and then move on from there. It's like I've done that. I never want to do it again. Mm-hmm. And for me, I just, I don't know. I just, I just, I just want to do shit that's fun and that seems, you know, I live my life by like, hey, wouldn't it be cool by? Wouldn't it be cool if? And that, and that takes me to all these different places. Like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this and it looked like this and did that? And, and then I do it. And, and, you know, I just, I just, I just want to feel alive. And I think by doing these different things and working on it, it makes me feel alive. You know, I'm not solving. Or coming up with a cure for cancer or anything like that. Like you know, nobody needs anything that I make. You don't need to drink the wine that I make. No one needs this coloring book. Like you know, no one needs to wear these t-shirts. Like it's not a necessity of life. But the fact that you do support it, there's a sense of gratitude, and that makes me that makes me happy. And you know, that's the fuel that I need to keep pushing to do other stuff because people gravitate to it.
1: What does success look like for you now at this stage in your career?
0: Um, to continue to do whatever the fuck I want to do. <laughs> right. Like, you you know what I mean? Like if I didn't, that's that kind of thing. Like if I didn't have a calendar, like I wouldn't know, I'd like, I wouldn't know what to do for me. Like to not know what day of the week it is. I love that. I want my kids to, to experience that, to be so in love or to be enthralled in what you, what you're passionate about and what pushes you like, so much show that, like, you forget to eat. You don't know what day it is. You haven't taken a shower in three days. Like, like to me, I don't know. I just love that. I love it. You know, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I had to, I walked up to our wine shop maybe, last, I think it was last week. And as I was opening the door, I realized I was like, oh my God, I think I've had these same clothes on for three days. <laughs> and, and I had been to the shop every single day. So when I walked in, I was talking to um, the guy, one of the guys that works for us. And I was like, hey, I know I've had these clothes on for three days. I'm well aware of that. I just wanted to bring it out in the open, and it was funny because he said, "I didn't know. I thought it was something that rich people did." And I was like, "Trust me, this has nothing to do with money. It's just like I just, you know, I like I've been up, you know, I've been up working and and excited about something, and fall asleep at my desk. Mm-hmm. I wake up, I start cooking breakfast for my kids, and I'm I'm rolling right. I'm already in it." I don't know. There's just something about that. You know, I homeschool, we homeschool our children because I want them to pursue their passions at, at an earlier age. Mm. I want you to be in it. Like if you're into swimming, then they're like, it's not like, Oh, okay. If you get all your work done, we swim on, we'll swim on Friday. It's like, no, every day we'll get your instructor and you're going to go swim every day. Right. Not, not like cannonball shit. Like, <laughs> like we're like, jump in the pool. like have a swim instructor. I don't know. I just think that, you know, that life's too short like if that's something that you're into and then pursue it with with vengeance right and th- and i'm gonna help you do that like go do it and then and then you figure that, that that's not for you that you want to do something else so that leaves something else then let's attack the next thing the same way
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's and that's how i feel about it and that's how i kind of feel about life and like you know and success to me looks like you know being able to do it. and and now it's just not even like just me it's like helping other people realize that as well Yeah, You know, like growing a business and being now that I can, I can do business with my friends to help them get that bag. You know what I mean? Like, it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Of course. course, Like, of course I'll support you, man. Like, and I understand that like you can't do it this way. So I, and our policy is to do it that way, but I want to do business with you. So we're going to do it this way.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. Like it just, you know, I feel like we buy faceless things all the time, all the time. We buy faceless things and things from people that don't matter. But when there's opportunities where there's someone that you know them, you know their family, like you know them and that you should support them. And I do that. You know, I want to su- I want to support that person. I know how hard it is to build something. I want to help you do that. I, you know, I want to say that I contribute, right? I was there and, you know, and, and, and I bought that thing from you. I bought that thing from your cousin who was buying it. I bought that thing from your son, mm-hmm. right? So that's why I'm at. That's what success looks like. More of the same shit. <laughs>
1: More of the same shit so how are you how do you balance all of this you mentioned like at the top of the the interview that you're kind of on a plane every day you've got a book coming out you're opening up a new wine shop like how do you balance all of the work stuff that you're doing along with the family stuff
0: It's all the same there's no difference in it I'm lucky enough that I found a partner who understands that about me mm-hmm. right the V word is a bad word in my Household, I mean, there's no such thing as a vacation, right? Now they might be on vacation and I might be there, but I'm working and they're off doing something else. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, you know. And and I bring, you know, my my kids, my family travels with me once a quarter to wherever I'm at, mm-hmm. right? So you know, and we moved to we moved to Europe for four months when my third son was born,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you know, I worked from there. Their education, well, our their education is about moving around and being involved right it's not just that you know our motto is don't let school get in the way of your education hmm. right for me i want my you know not only does my kid know has been to the louvre but he knows where you know where the best croissant is right around the corner <laughs> right because he's because he's been there yeah they've all been there right and that's kind of our thing you know i think the greatest gifts that we can give as parents to our children is the gift of language and the gift of travel hmm. and so there's no difference you know the other day i was like hey we're all going over we're all going over to the the wine bar which is under construction so we try I try to take them there once a week so they can see the progress so we can look at the plans and so to help them see if they can visualize it right we just looked at you know you know a dairy farm that was for sale in upstate new york you know we all went on that trip i wanted them all to see it and see the process and like at the dinner table we're always talking business we're talking entrepreneurial things i mean me and my kids we started a company called block party catering like over dinner one night, <laughs> and then I hired them. I hired their company, which I gave them the loan to open. I hired their company to uh, serve food to serve lunch at our block party. Mm-hmm. Now they've catered or done, you know, their friend's birthday party. I got in an argument with my kid because he wanted to open an Etsy account, <laughs> and I told him that his I told him, I told him that his work sucked and that it was it wasn't good enough on Etsy. And he didn't want to hear that, but it was the truth, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, dude, you just get, like, you just learned how to make jewelry like two days ago. And all of a sudden, like, look at that, right? And so, and then... You know, that was a hard conversation for him to hear, but he buckled down and he started doing it. And I was like, you, you can only after it, it's got to be at least six months of you making jury before you would be able to put it up there. And so we have those things it, it, like our lives and work are all intertwined, right? Like it just is, there's nothing, you know, it's a, it's a lifestyle. Like, you know, my nine-year-old, ta- he tastes all the wine every at dinner time every dinner, he opens the bottle of wine, he tastes the wine. And then he pours for everybody. Like it just, it's just, it's like what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when we're like doing it, it's like, oh, hey, we're doing a taste test. They're there when we're picking out the wallpaper. It's just part of our lives. And so that's how it's never off, right? Because it's just who we are. And I'm sure sometimes they don't like that, but that's just how I'm built, right? It's just, it's just, it's all together. We take, you know, family trips, we take trips our outings, our excursions, all of those things are focused on the things that we are excited about or that, you know, it's R and D or it's something for this, you know, it's like you drive four hours just to go eat at one place and then we come back. Right. It doesn't change. Like, and I I, and it's fo- so funny. Cause we were trying to tell someone it's like, I probably get to spend more time with my kids than someone who actually lives in the same, like who lives in the same house and doesn't travel at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Because collectively, we get to do things. You're like, it's like, you know, we'll fly to Dallas for a football game. You know, it just, we, we just, we make, you make that time. You know, I read them books via FaceTime, you know, in the backseat of a car before I have to go do a wine dinner, like in Wyoming. You know what I mean? So we stay connected in that way.
2: Yeah.
0: And what I try to explain to everybody that nothing is permanent. If all of a sudden what happens doesn't, it's not working. Then I can change it. I have the power to change it. You know, and that was hard to get used to as an entrepreneur at the beginning because I realized, like, oh, I don't want to be here. Oh, there's nothing saying that I need to be here. Yeah. So then, you know, I call my assistant. I'm like, hey, book the ticket now. Move it up. I want to leave right now. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like so and that's how me and my wife, that's how we live our lives. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, right, okay. I'm gonna go hard for nine years. Let's see what that looks like. Yeah. Right. And if something's not working. We realize that we have the power to change it. Or even if it's not, it's like, Hey, the little baby, he's, he's only going to cry for a little bit. Right. You know what I mean? Like it seems like forever or he's not sleeping through the night. All of that is, it's not permanent. Right. It will, it will, it will change and it will be different. And, and if it's not working, then we figure out a way to change it. And I operate. I don't celebrate small victories. Right. Because I'm the person that thinks that I should have done it a long time ago. Right. I think we talked about that earlier. My wife is someone who needs that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that until she said that. And so now it's like, oh, hey, I forgot to tell you. Last week we sold three containers of wine to – shipping containers of wine to Sweden. She needs that to feel like, okay, this is – like, okay, I'm feeling good now. I'm feeling good. You know what I mean? Like I needed to share those – what I would call small victories. I needed to share those things with her and that didn't mean that i that i was celebrating them if i shared them with her it was giving giving her information so she felt a part of the process and you know and ever since that you know i you know our relationship has been great
1: wow. <laughs> i mean i think just, just well no i mean i think from what you said earlier it sounds like it's the 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 goal is for them to experience their education for your kids i mean to experience their education out in the world and not necessarily in a classroom
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And like and like when and it's so funny too, right? Because and I think that's a trend that you'll start to see more and more of. When I say homeschool, a lot of people think like, oh my God, that you know, they think religious reasons and they talk about socialization. And at that point, you, you know, I already know that they've they're lost. Like in New York City, homeschool is like going to college. Mm-hmm. There's people all over the city who offer classes. And all kinds of different... I mean, we had an archaeological dig in our backyard, mm-hmm. right? Where the guy comes up and he'll set up any type of time period. And then we invited other kids and they come to the backyard and they did an archaeological dig. I mean, it's like, it's really awesome how the things that you can set up for your children to learn. And I, I think it's awesome. And and with New York City being the backdrop of that, I think it, I think it's the most wonderful thing ever.
1: Mm. With everything that you're doing now, where do you see yourself in the next like five years or so? What kind of work
0: would you like to be doing? The goal is, you know, I think I'm gonna be. I want to be in the hotel business. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I have this whole thing concept. that's called 360 degree hospitality, 360 hospitality, and um, and I realize that people want experiences now. Hospitality is being able to do all of those things, and so I feel like the next thing for me is 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 to own an inn. You know, I don't, you know, something like that on a smaller scale, and that's a more of a curated experience in the future your favorite designer is going to have a hotel mm. that's just the way that it is when you think about like that now like designer they p- you know they pay a lot of money for rent and then they spend a lot of money marketing trying to get you to come into the showroom it's going to flip and you're going to pay them to stay in the showroom and the showroom is a hotel or a resort or some type of an experience where everything is for sale and curated it's just the way, it's just the way that it is. You see everybody and, and restaurants, you even see, you should see clothing brands embracing that, you know, Brooks Brothers has a cafe in the bottom of one of their stores. Uh, Restoration Hardware is starting to open up restaurants. Uh, the Gap has an Airbnb. It's all about experiences
2: mm-hmm.
0: and going to those places. And, you know, I try to say to people, it's creating a real life place for the ads, so if you look at a Ralph Lauren ad, uh, ad, you know, it's always this mythical, you know, it's like on a ranch, or horses, whatever, whatever. The next part of that is actually bringing people to that place and people ba- paying to be at that place. It's like making the ads come to life and uh, you'll start to see it. And for me, I just, I realize that it's about lifestyle and people want to, you know, I stay in a lot of hotels
2: mm-hmm.
0: over the last nine years and a lot of them are sterile. They are all the same. They're, you know, but being in a place that, you know, If I'm there for a longer period of time, I stay in the air, you know, I'll stay like, you know, get something off Airbnb because it feels, some of them feel lived in and they feel personal and they're just different. And I think that's what people are willing to pay for. Yeah. And, and hotel and hotels are really changing. So I think that's kind of the, the more of the work that I want to do. We do a lot of stuff now with, um, entrepreneurship and young and young kids, uh, and students. And so, Doing a lot more of that work seems, you know, is really fun and interesting, but that's kind of where I see myself, you know, on the business side, still pushing, doing fun and, and, and great things and keeping myself motivated, and inspired and just, you know, working with people I love.
1: Yeah, hotel sounds really dope. I I don't stay at a ton of hotels. I mean, I travel for work and such, but I know what you mean about them all kind of essentially at one point just they all sort of blur into each other. I imagine for you, they really do just sort of blur into each other. Do you have like a favorite hotel or favorite like chain of hotels or anything?
0: Yeah, so I stay at a uh, it's called Twenty One C. They're an independent hotel. I try to stay at the independent hotels. Mm -hmm. They're not in. Every single city, but Twenty One C is my favorite hotel, and it is a it's basically an art museum. So the, they have a twenty four hour the lobby is a twenty four hour art museum, hmm. uh, and then it's all the great art all throughout the rooms. And basically, they purchase buildings that are basically historical buildings, which are art themselves. And you really find them in like the capitals of the south, so like Nashville, Oklahoma City, Bentonville, Atlanta might be getting one, Durham, North Carolina. Uh, Louisville, they, it, they are, to me are some of the best hotels and, and the integration of art. And they're, they're just beautiful, but you know, you can see it. Just imagine like Beyonce having a hotel and in it, it's her memorabilia, you know, things that are personal to you like, like all of those things. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And when, and once like the big hotel companies realize that you'll start to see designers and celebrities who have hotel deals with them. And people stay there, you know, it's kind of a museum of, of, of sorts, but it's all the games all getting ready to change. Retail it, people are saying retail is dead. And the only way you can get people in is restaurants because people go out to restaurants. And so urban outfitters, they're putting pizza joints inside of some of their stores to get people to come in. Hmm. And so that, and so on the hotel side, I just think like, that's, you know, to me and you know, it, it's, and it's a way of melding all of my stuff into one life. Like it's a way for me to, con- you know, to buy property, right? It's a way to pay for said property, yeah. right? It's like by renting it out and doing events and putting those, putting all those things together. And I love the travel. I love the shop. And, you know, these are a collection of things that I've collected over the years from all the places I traveled and being able to put them in one place. You know, I didn't, mean, it's the same, you know, that's why I'm into, I think the hotel thing is like really cool. It's going to be a lot more better options, for staying in places coming up soon
1: now that i'm thinking about it like it is like a total like 360 mm-hmm. experience from the staff to check into the rooms of course but then the restaurant in the hotel and the decor and like my a chain that i really like is La meridian i think marriott mm-hmm. owns them now marriott or but they yeah i think it's marriott
0: yeah our our half pump are in all the rooms there
1: and I I like I love that hotel chain because everyone that I've stayed in a different city, it's sort of I mean, I feel like it's it's geared design wise towards the city. But then there's just so many interesting little things like the hotel has a playlist. Mm-hmm. Like you go and you check in and they're like, oh, check out our playlist on Spotify. And it's pumping in the hallway or it's pumping in the the elevator or something like that. Or one La Meridian, I stayed in they had a house DJ. Mm hmm. You know, that just, it's like all, it's like a whole, it's an experience. And I could definitely see that being something celebrities or, or designers get behind.
0: Yeah, you have them. Like the Ace Hotel, like those are great. Like you go into an Ace Hotel to check in and you're like, I don't know if I should start dancing, like <laughs> but like the lobby is pop up. Like the lobby is like a club, yeah. like not just the music. It is jam full of people hanging out and you're like, wait a minute, this is like off the hook. <laughs> and you're like, Hey, you know what? Just take my bag up to my room. I'll come up later. I'm gonna go have a drink at the bar. Right. You know what I mean? Like that, that I love and uh, the way they're designed and I don't know, there's just something about it. And, and, and that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, you know what? That's where I see myself doing a little bit more than that. You know, obviously I got a lot, a lot of work I'm opening in my first, my first place, but these are all, you know, our little wine bars is, is really to show people what we can do. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, Andre, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you? I mean, online everywhere. It sounds like you're everywhere, but where can people
0: find you? <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm probably most attentive to, um, to Instagram. So definitely hit me up on Instagram. It's just Andre H Mac. M-A-C-K, uh, and you can find me there. Also, if you – there also is a link to um, to our wine company, Maison Noir Wines, but you, you can find that also on Instagram. That's M-A-I-S-O-N, Noir, N-O-I-R, Wines, W-I-N-E-S, uh, and you can find us there and both places online.
1: All right. Sounds good. Well, Andre Mack, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, one, for sharing – just your story about how you got into wine. And I think, you know, I'll be honest, as I approached this interview, I was like, I'm not sure if it's going to be just about wine or just about design or how it's going to work. But I mean, (laughs) you dropped just so many just like pearls of wisdom about just creativity and perseverance and self-determination that I think our audience is really going to like latch on to. I mean, I was getting excited just listening to you talk about Doing your own thing and everything, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I need to go back and do my own thing too. So, no, this this is this has been really great, man. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
0: No worries. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thoughts of love are in your mind.
1: And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Andre Mack and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Andre and his work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash provision path. Revision Path is a Glitch Media Network podcast and is produced by Maurice Cherry and edited by Brittany Brown. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. We're also powered by Simplecast, which is the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check out the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. And if you like this episode, then please let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes about a minute or two to do, but it really, really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.